chapter 15, verse 5, skipping to 9 through 11. And then we're reading from Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is God's word. Well, good morning. If you're new, joining us for the first time, a warm welcome to you and a happy new year to you guys. I hope your new year is off to a good start. Mine started off with our cat getting stuck and lost behind the walls of our house, like inside the house, but you know, between the outer wall and the inner wall, and it involved church members coming over in a demolition project to try to find them, and it'll probably end up, end up into a sermon illustration at some point into the future, but uh, thank you to Cody and uh, Dustin, you guys are superheroes, and our cat is now safe, and you guys were all wondering if he was okay. So that's how our New Year started off, but yeah, I hope you're all's New Year is starting off well. Uh, we are in the middle of a multi-year series in the Gospel of Matthew. That's the main way we do preaching here is just walk through books of the Bible, Old and New Testament, line by line. But uh, occasionally, roughly once a year or so, we'll stop to do a topical series to look at what, is, what do the scriptures say about something in particular that we think our church needs. And for those of you who are at our end-of-year member gathering in December, uh, we announced to you all that our, our theme for the 2020 year is Formation formation. And this is something that the, that's been on the hearts of the leaders here for a while. Uh, you could argue formation really is like the, the point of following Jesus and doing what we do here on Sunday and, and throughout the week. So it, it really matters. It's, it's been on my heart and our leaders' hearts for a while. And so, and so I hope, you know, we're, so we're going to focus on this all year together as a church. And so we're going to take a five-week series here at the start of the year to look at formation and then we'll jump back into Matthew in late February as we head into Lent and Easter and so forth. Uh, and then we'll keep revisiting formation throughout the year. So uh, I had initially written an intro to this sermon, you know, as you do, uh, with a sermon. And then I realized this entire sermon is an introduction to spiritual formation. So I intro the intro, right? And like, who doesn't want an intro that's not long-winded? And so let's just jump right into the body of the sermon, okay? Because this, this is all an introduction to formation. And so um, just help you guys, like hopefully you start to see the urgency of it and get it, get excited about it, even if it's challenging uh, for our church as we go through it throughout the year. So uh, let's look at it this way. First, what is it? Second, how do we do it? And then number three, you know, the big, so what? Why? Why do we do spiritual formation? Uh, so spiritual formation, what is it? How do we do it? And why? Why is it such a big deal that we prioritize it? All right, so we, we chose a couple of passages. I mean, really, really it's all throughout the, te- the New Testament, but we chose a couple of places that distill it down. So what is spiritual formation? So first, if you have your Bible, uh, some of the verses will also be on the screen. Uh, look at John 15 here, and here Jesus is with his closest friends right before he dies. And as you do, if you're able to spend time with the people you love the most right before you die, you're going to say what's most important, okay? What you most want them to know. 
or do. And so what's the most important thing Jesus wants his disciples to do? And he says in verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so he's saying, like, the main thing I want you to focus on when I die and then rise again and ascend is to stay connected to me. And as you stay connected to me and don't wither like a branch that's cut off from a vine, but you stay connected to me, what's going to be the outcome of staying connected to me through the Holy Spirit? And he says in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And then he talks about keeping his commandments and bearing fruit. So essentially what he's saying is the outcome of staying connected to me through the Holy Spirit is a deep well of love that flows back and forth between me and you. And then out of that is going to flow into love for people, love for neighbors. So you're, you and I are going to experience deep love, and then out of that will flow a life of love. That's what Jesus means by keeping his commandments and bearing fruit. So keep that in mind. This will start to crystallize as we go through. Now in Galatians 4, chapter 19, Paul writes to the churches at Galatia, My little children, for whom I am again in anguish, again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So here he starts off, verse 19, my little children. So Paul's not an armchair theologian. He's a pastor who loves his people and talks in a parental tone. He has a relationship with these people. And he says, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. Kelsey is the toughest person I know. And she said, bar none, the hardest thing I've ever done is childbirth. I'm like, it must be pretty hard. So, so why is Paul voluntarily undergoing anguish with these people? With, with his church. And he says, until Christ is formed in you. And so what he's saying is, in Galatians, it, it's a letter filled with rich theology and application. And so what Paul is saying here is the point of all of this, the point of the rich theology, the point of me exhorting you to come back to Jesus, the, the point of all the commandments I'm telling you to do is for Christ to be formed in you. And so this language here, until Christ is formed in you, if you've ever heard the phrase spiritual formation and if you hadn't before today, you heard it in the intro already. Like, this is where we, the historic church, has gotten this language of, of formation. And so what, what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying, is the most important thing a church can do, the most important thing the leaders of a church can do, the most important thing you can do if you're a member in the church, is take spiritual formation seriously. Like, that is the end. That is the goal of the Christian life. And so we ask, well, then, what is it? And... When we look at Jesus' teaching in John 15, uh, Paul here in Galatians 4, also, I mean, it's all through every letter. Like, once you see it, you can't not see it. It's in every letter. Um, how you can define spiritual formation here, I'm adapting from John Mark Comer, who I think took it from Dallas Willard. But it, it, like, what I found the mo has been the most helpful for me, and we're going to use this throughout the series, is spiritual formation is it's growing in your capacity to give and receive love in relationship to God and people. Growing in your capacity to give love and to receive love in relationship to God and people. And so, okay, let's, let's flush this out and put some meat on it so you can start to see its application. So think about, let's first think about God and receiving love from God. There's a story I heard from a pastor who, uh, he said, in, uh, formerly in his ministry, he was friends with his family and his church, and they had a teenage daughter and one day, this daughter, who he knows as well, she comes into his office, sits down, and he goes, hey, what's up? She says, I, I've, I've been depressed. I feel really sad. So they get talking, and, you know, she's he's asking, you know, why you're so sad? And so she's explaining it, and they're talking about it. And then finally she goes, and she's a, she's a believer. She says, you know, I believe in Jesus. I, 
I know he loves me. I believe he died for me and he's with me right now. But what good is that when a single boy at school won't even look at you? What's happening there, right? She believes in God's love. She does. But in a more real sense, a more powerful sense, her lack of popularity, her lack of being seen as attractive or wanted by boys, right? That's more real to her than God's love for her. And does that relate to any of you, right? It's like, I I believe in God. Yes, I know he loves me, but this problem or this situation or this story that I believe about myself, like God's, his love just feels so thin and wispy compared to like the real stuff that makes me angry or scared or cry. And so what formation helps with is to take that, that objective knowledge you have that God loves you and to make it, to imprint into your being so it becomes more experiential. You actually begin to feel it and believe it in ways that make a more of a tangible impact. So it becomes the most real and compelling thing about you. Okay, so formation helps with that. Actually receiving love from God subjectively. Pretty important. Um, how about giving and receive love to other people? Think about receiving love from people. So in the realm of attachment theory, and if you're here and you're a counselor, just therapy language in general has become more popular, so a lot of you may be familiar with it. It's, attachment theory is a helpful way of describing you know, how do we connect to people that we're in relationship with. And it gives a number of categories for how we relate to people. And two of the categories it gives are anxious attachment and avoidant attachment. And so if you're an anxious attachment, per, like this is the type of attachment pattern this has, like just, I mean, in a simplistic sense, what it's getting at is, like, you have an obsessive need to be connected to the people you're in intimate relationship with. Like, you're always fearing you're going to lose the connection, or you're riding the emotional roller coaster of the person you're with, or you, you always need to know they love you. Okay, what have you been doing? Like, do you love, what did this mean in our conversation? Okay, codependency is, like, one, one form that it can take, right? So, so you're always up and down based on how that connection is going. That's anxious attachment, and Another form of attachment is avoidant attachment, and this is where you could call this the survivor or the lone ranger. This is where you're, you're wary of relationships in general. You're, very, you're slow to open up. You, you hold your cards close to your chest, right, even with those that you're closest to maybe. And what, what, are, what are both of these forms? Both of these forms of relating to people are it's, a, it's hard for you to receive love from people. Right, you're, you're either way too dependent on it, so you're not actually receiving love in the way you're, you're designed to, or you, you can't receive it at all. And so what formation does is it opens up those pathways for us to become more relationally healthy, to receive love from, from other people. It, it matters. And then in turn, formation helps you give love and relationship to people. And so when you're born, your default mode of operating is the egoic operating system. So it's all me, 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 right? You can see this with babies and small children. It's my needs, my desires, my emotions, my opinions. And when I don't get what I want, when I want it, I'm going to scream and cry about it. Now, some people never mature, never mature beyond this point, right? It's like, no, your preferences need to bend to mine. And if, if not, I'm going to make your life miserable, or I'm going to complain about it, or I'm going to grow cold toward you. Okay, some people never grow out of this egoic operating system where it's always all about me and my preferences and my feelings. But others, right, by knowing Jesus over time and being formed by him, you move from the ego operating system to that of agape, 
the love of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit flowing through you into other-centered love, even at great inconvenience to yourself. So formation helps you become the kind of person who begins to think less of yourself over time and actually think about love for the people around you rather than just ego. And so it grows your capacity, right, to give and receive love in relationship to God and people. And so for, for Jesus, for the New Testament writers, all throughout Scripture, really, I mean, like, this is the purpose of the, the, the Christian life. This is, what, this is what God wants for all of us. And so our Bible studies, our Sunday worship, our, our community groups, how we work, all of these are the means to the end of spiritual formation, becoming people of love. So that's what it is. Now let's look at, okay, so how do we do it? How do we become people who can actually give and receive love to God and people? And this is a, it's an interesting question because in one sense, formation isn't something you do or can do. It's something that God does in you through the power of his spirit. And so here's what I mean. If you were to take a, I don't even know if you can get them here, but if you were to take a sapling of a redwood tree, right, like, and it's three inches tall, and you look at them, and you exhort, you know, and you say, Be- become a giant redwood. Now, come on, like 300 feet of grandeur, I want to see it. And he, if he could talk, he'd say, um, like, I, I can't, <laughs> right? Like, I'm trying, I-, I know I have the potential in me, but I-, I can't. And, but what you can do, right, is you can put that tree in the right soil, in the right sunlight, and slowly over time, he grows into splendor. And that's a bit like how formation works. So if I just tell you, become a person of Christ-like love tomorrow. Or say you're prone to worry, right? You're always predicting doom around the corner or unpredictability and uncertainty just really stress you out. And you read the command, don't worry about tomorrow. How's that going to go? Or if you're addicted to pornography or you have a regular pattern of fantasizing about people who aren't your spouse and you're told, stop it. Stop it. How's that going to go? If if you have a pattern of being snippy or cold toward your spouse or toward those you live with and you're told, stop being like this, how's it going to go? Right? Because in, in a real sense, like these deep patterns that are ingrained in us through a whole host of things, through temperament, through upbringing, through our habits today, uh, they're, they're so ingrained in our, in our neurobiology, right, because we're embodied people, that we can't just change these deep patterns in us. However, what we can do is put ourselves in the right soil, in the right sunlight, as it were, so that we open ourselves up to God's Spirit so that over time, he can actually form you into the kind of person who doesn't worry about tomorrow, who doesn't lust, who treats your spouse with gentleness and care. And so when it comes to spiritual formation, there's a, there's a you part and there's a God part. So only God can know and access and change those deep parts of your being. But you have a role to play. Right, you actually have to do things to open yourself up for God to make these changes happen in you. And so this is where the spiritual practices come in. These are things that Jesus modeled and taught. These are things that the church has been practicing for two millennia. And they're practices that we'll be slowly implementing and working on as a church so that we can work together to become people of love. 
And so what are some examples of spiritual practices? Uh, one would be Sabbath. So taking a full 24 hours away from work to rest, delight, and worship. Another would be silence and solitude. So stepping away from any and all inputs. Okay, audio, a book, your phone, certainly. Where it's only you and your thoughts and God for the purpose of meeting God and him transforming you. And if you're a mom here with one kid, with, uh, with young kids, you're thinking, what out-of-touch person came up with silence and solitude? Well, we'll address that when we get to silence and solitude. It's simplicity. Our spending habits and our media, our media habits should look different than that of the world. Fasting. Abstaining from food in order to awaken our need for God and to stand in solidarity with the poor. Okay, prayer, our direct portal to encountering God. Scripture, okay, meditating on Scripture, studying Scripture it should always be the means to the end of knowing God and actually encountering Him. And then life together. So actually spending time with people outside of the walls of Sunday worship around tables where you're letting people know your real self, not the self we all project to each other, the sanitized version, but actually letting people get to know the real you and you in turn knowing other people's real selves. I mean, it's a, a key place where transformation can happen. And so these are just some examples of practices. I think that's all of them. Yeah, um, there's more, but notice as you look at these, notice how many involve your body and action, like actually doing things, right, with your body. And this may challenge those of you like me who grew up and either due to the church you were in, the family, or just your temperament, grew up with the impression that Christianity, life with God, it's mainly about knowing things. Okay, so if I can just study the Bible and hear a lot of sermons and learn a lot of things about God, then that's what's going to make me mature and lead to transformation. But that's simply not the case. This is why you can know a lot of people who are really Bible smart, but awful people to be in an intimate relationship with, right? It's horrible to, for them to be an authority over you. It's horrible to be married to them or to be close friends with them or to live under the same roof as them. Why? Because they, they've gotten a lot of knowing, but they haven't allowed God to actually transform them into people of love. This is, this is why spiritual formation matters so much. And so how do we do it? There's our part, our habits and practices, putting ourselves right in the right soil and sunlight so that God can do this deep change that's needed. Okay, slowly but certainly over time to form us into people of love. So last number three, why does this, why does this matter? And if you're, you're sitting here and you're, like, hopefully you're, you're beginning to, to see why it matters, but if you're still like, oh, I don't really see the urgency of this, or I'm like, this sounds like a boring 2024 focus. Just, if, if that's, I understand, I mean, I've, I've been swimming in this stuff now for, for a long time, and it just, it took a while for me to actually begin to see it's, its necessity and to get excited about it. But I hope by the end of this, you'll, it'll, you'll at least begin to take another step closer to seeing the urgency of this and why it's so, so, so necessary and exciting. So first, why do it? Why do spiritual formation? And the first reason is because you're already being formed. Okay. Every person is being spiritually formed every single day, either toward a person of love, right, with God and people, or away from it. And so it's not like some people go through spiritual formation, others don't, as uh, John Mark Comer, who we're drawing a lot of things from in this series, put it, spiritual formation isn't a Christian thing, it's a human thing. Because 
what you do from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m., that forms you in a particular direction. The first thing that you look at when you wake up, that forms you in a particular direction. When somebody is mean to you or irritating toward you, how you respond, that forms you. That does something to you in your response. And so you look at any person, everyone's a product of our habits, the stories we believe, the people we're in relationship with. And so Elon Musk is a product of formation. Taylor Swift, she's a product of formation. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, they are products of spiritual formation. Rosa Parks, Winston Churchill, all of these people became who, who they were or they are who they are because of how they allow themselves to be formed. And so when you go through formation, how you need to think about it is just, oh, now I'm going to start spiritual formation. It, it's not that. It's now I'm actually taking ownership of my formation, right? I'm actually now being intentional about the kind of person I'm going to be tomorrow when I wake up and the kind of person people are going to encounter next month. Okay, so that, that's the first reason it, it really, because you're already being formed. <laughs> this isn't just like a, a religious thing. Number two, why does it matter? And it matters because you and I ache for God. We long for union with God. And few recognize this desire for what it is. Often we experience it to be a longing for happiness or a longing to make an impact in our work or a longing for freedom or a long for, um, you know, just resolved mental health or a longing for deep, fulfilling relationships where I'm actually known and I know this person. But at their core, all of these longings are for God and can only be satisfied in God. And so why do formation? It's to get God. It's to get union with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who's the most beautiful person to know and be known by. And guys, I just, I'm, even just over the past couple months, I feel like I'm beginning to taste this for the, almost like the first time in my life. And it is, there is nothing worth keeping if it means losing this. So you ache for God, and so that's why we do spiritual formation. It's to, it's to get God. Number three, why do formation? Another way to frame the question is, how is formation different from the world? Because you think even with like a lot of the things that you, and depending on the, the, the streams you run in or what you look at online, I think uh, especially with millennial, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, is that the next one? Right, there is, like when you look on social media, you, you watch the TED Talk circuit, I mean, there are all kinds of brilliant minds who can teach you about mindfulness and meditation and the importance of work-rest balance and boundary setting and cold plunges and soul cycle and matcha, right? So like, so th the question is, how is spiritual formation, because some of these things sound similar to that, how is it different than a lot of the uh, the self-care projects that the world offers? And in fact, a lot of churches and Christians have kind of like, co-opted Christian spiritual formation, but really made it about what the world self-care projects are about. So what's the main difference? And the difference is in the end, the ends. What's the purpose? And so if you ask someone, you know, okay, so what, what's the purpose of all these things you're doing? Usually, you know, and I don't mean to, I think I'm representing them well, people who teach on this and encourage others in it. Say something like personal happiness, um, better mental health, uh, inner peace, Productivity. 
And so how is, how is Christian spiritual formation different? And the, the first thing we need to say is there are a lot of things in these teachings to be commended. So you and I, we can learn a lot from people who teach us about rest and mindfulness and taking care of our bodies. How we take care of our bodies does impact our, our spiritual life, to love God and neighbor. Um, but, but the difference is, okay, cause, but, so it's like we can learn from people. So j- it's like just because an atheist eats breakfast doesn't mean you shouldn't eat breakfast. Come on, guys, right? So like we can learn from people in the world. However, the difference is in the end. And for Jesus, the end goal of these practices isn't happiness or inner peace or productivity because in the kingdom of God, happiness, productivity, inner peace aren't the chief end. The chief end is love. And love often feels unhappy in the moment. It often feels unproductive. It often disrupts your inner peace when you practice sacrificial love toward people you're in relationship with. And so why do formation? Well, according to Jesus, the, well, it will end up also resulting in happiness and our peace and so forth, but the, the chief end is, is love. And so we have to keep this in mind. Why are we doing it? Okay, it's for love of God and neighbor. Next one, why do spiritual formation? Okay, so if we just looked at how is it different from how the world talks about formation, how is it different from how you could say like conservative or traditional religion talks about spiritual practices and formation? And the difference is with traditional religion, so say whether it's a twisted version of Christianity or any other religion or secular system, it's always about trying to get God or the universe to be okay with you. Okay, so I, I do, I, I read my Bible and I practice Sabbath and I love neighbor. I do life together so that I know I'm okay, so that God knows I'm okay. And for those of you who have tried spiritual practices before, like under, with that underneath you, like God just, he needs, I need to know I'm, am I doing this right? Am I doing enough? Am I doing it with pure enough motives? This is, it's exhausting. And so this is why Jesus, he's such a beautiful God and king because he's not just a teacher who teaches us about formation and the practices, but he's savior. And earlier we talked about how every person aches for God and in a profound sense, God aches for you, the real you. And this is why Jesus came as a baby on Christmas and lived as he did, and suffered as he did, both in his life and then at the cross, and then rose again. He did it to get you. First Peter 3 puts it, for Christ suffered once, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Okay, so Jesus, at, at the end of it, he's not really interested in your practices, he's interested in you. And so where this gives you freedom is because the wonder of the cross is it it's the only place that gives you a guarantee that you are right by Jesus' side, in his arms, in his family, beginning now, forever, regardless of how your practices are going. And so the practices aren't to get God to be okay with. It's because it's to access the love you already have. And I think about this, and so just throughout the, the past December uh, I, I had a really busy December, and I, I allowed it to not um, be as present with my children as I could have been or should have been. And this whole time, my objective status is the father-child relationship was still objectively there, right? But subjectively, that felt experience of my kids receiving my love and me receiving it for them was, you know, it was waning. And so Christmas week, I 
uh, looked at each of my boys. Uh, then I don't think understands English yet. So I looked at my boys, and I just said, hey, guys, let's, uh, I'm going to go on a one-on-one father-son trip with each of you, and we're, we're going to go to Trader Joe's, and we're going to go to that dessert aisle. And you can choose anything you want, anything, no qualifications. And I'm glad they didn't choose, like, something outrageously expensive. I don't know. But I don't even think there is something really expensive in Trader Joe's. But anyway, so w- we go, and it's a mixture of me imposing my nostalgic Christmas, Christmas music to them in the car and walking, holding hands in silence together, irritating each other like crazy, laughing a lot, just being normal and doing ordinary life together. And it was just everything. It was such a sweet time. And so by the end of it, right, even, even amid the, the irritation and the, and the silence and all, but by the end of it, right, our, our felt experience of giving and receive love was, was heightened, and in a similar way, the, if you're, if you know Jesus and are trusting, that objective relation, it's always there. Okay, but as you go through the practices to open yourself up to him, that subjective experience of his presence with you begins to grow. And the difference is it's not because he's like me where he's been kind of ignoring you for a month. He's been there the whole time and he's ready to just pour his joy into you. And so as we, as, as we move forward into a church, uh, as we move forward as a church uh, this year, just a, like a couple logistics. So um, we'll be focusing on one practice at a time. Uh, I won't tell you the first one, so you come to community group to find out what it, Well, you're going to find out next Sunday what it is before next community group. But we're just going to, like roughly every 8 to 12 weeks, we're going to focus on a practice together. And they'll build. And the main way we're going to implement these and work on it together as a church is through community groups. And so I encourage you, if you're not in a community group, I just invite you to join one. If you're in a community group, I encourage you to actually hold true to your commitment to your community group, right? So that when you commit to community group, you're communicating, I'm, I'm going to be here. I'm going to make this a priority. So just in love, can I encourage you guys to hold to that commitment and make it a priority because week to week, these things are going to build on each other, and the relationships we have in our groups are going to build on one another, and so there, there's, there's a logic to it. Um, if you can't join a community group, you know, don't worry. Just talk to me. Talk to our leaders. There, there are still ways you, you can practice these things, and so we can work with you on that if just some people are in a stage where you can't. But yeah, so I encourage you to join one, commit to actually going if you're in one, and then a note of encouragement to those of you who, because maybe you're here and you're thinking, like, my life is a mess right now. Uh, I'm hurting right now. I feel like I'm not that far ahead, like I just began the Christian faith, or I'm re-engaging the Christian faith, or I'm going, with, going through doubts with the Christian faith. The beautiful thing about the practices is it's not for the elite Christian if there is such a thing. Like, every single one of us can just start where we are. So here at Doxology, we're much more about, because Jesus is much more about directional rather than destination. Okay, so none of us have fully arrived yet. That won't happen until Jesus returns. But the question we're always asking ourselves and each other is what direction are we heading in, right? Wherever we are, are you heading toward Christ and love for neighbor or away from those things? And so you can start where we are. This isn't a contest on who can do the practices the best. Don't make it a competition, you DMV people. And I just, I'm looking forward to how God will use it in our church this year. Let's pray.